Well, it's good to be here this morning. It's a blessing and a privilege and I was already blessed with the service thus far. Many of you don't know me. Um, some of you do. So I'll just take a little time to uh, update you on my journey. I was here back in January, I think. I didn't look. And at that point in time, you wouldn't have needed a microphone to hear me out there on the street. I had thyroid surgery in late January, and due to a medical error, they damaged my vocal nerve. They took the wrong half of the thyroid out, so four weeks ago, I had thyroid surgery again to fix a mistake. And at that point in time, you couldn't have heard me with a microphone. I wouldn't have been here preaching. But praise God, it's healed up to the point where I can preach. And so I'm happy to be here this morning and do that. In Sunday school, we talked about Peter's last wishes or his words that he shared before his departure. This morning, my message is entitled, How Deep Is My Love? And it's taken from John 13 which you know are Jesus' last words to his disciples before the crucifixion. If you're an Anabaptist, you'll know this as a foot washing passage. But really, it's not about washing feet. That's not what this passage is about. It's about humility and love for each other. It's his final words to his disciples before his crucifixion. You know, you would think that his final words would be about evangelism or preaching or teaching. It wasn't about any of that. It was about washing each other's feet. If you look at this passage out of John, verses 1 through 17, you would think things look pretty good here. Everybody was in good shape. They were all on board. Of course, except for Judas, who was going to betray him. But I tell you, that's not the case. I looked at this passage because you look at our churches. 
at this time, our churches look good. We love each other. We get together. We worship. But Pennsylvania's governor did something about three weeks ago that kind of revealed the state of our churches to be not quite what they appear to be. A little four square inches of material across our mouths and our noses caused brothers and sisters to be at odds with each other. Not unlike the Last Supper said. I alluded to the fact I alluded to the fact that if you go and look at Luke's passage about the Last Supper, Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27, you'll see that not was always well. While Christ was hours away from crucifixion, Luke chapter 22, Verse 24 says this, A dispute arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. And he said unto them, Jesus, the king of the Gentiles, exercised lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you, but rather that the greatest among you become as the youngest and lead the leader as the one who serves. I don't know what was going through our Lord's mind as he sat there at the Last Supper. The disciples didn't fully realize what was going to happen. But Jesus did. You know, he sat there knowing that they were arguing about who would be the greatest. He knew that one of them despised him enough to betray him. Peter, the rock, was going to disown him. In fact, he's going to say to Peter in Luke's passage that in a few hours, Peter, you're going to curse and you're going to swear that you do not know me. Peter's going to make a statement in Luke's passage towards the end that he's willing to go with Christ even unto death. And Jesus is going to say, not so, Peter. This is what you're going to do before the night is out.
while we were bickering who is going to be the greatest, John's passage tells us in verse 4, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girt himself. Now, the disciples knew what was going to happen. We're not as familiar with foot washing as they were. But they knew what was going to happen. When he took a towel, poured water in a basin, and wrapped it about his waist, he took us off his outer robe. Closest thing we can identify with that is a man taking off his suit coat, or a woman taking off her sweater, her jacket. We know the pictures, we've all seen them. How it was customary in their culture for them to recline at the table when they laid out on the bench. And I picture Jesus getting up from that table. He goes, gets a basin and the towel, and it don't say this, but I'm going to say this. He comes to Matthew and he says, Matthew, put your feet down. I must wash your feet. He had their attention. Remember, they had just been bickering about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And he washes Matthew's feet and he goes on to the next ones. In this process, he washes Judas' feet. This wasn't about washing his disciples' feet. Because Christ himself says of Judas in John chapter 6, verse 70, Christ says, this of Judas, have I not chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil? Very clearly stating that Judas was not one of his disciples. Though he was a follower, he was not a believer. So Christ isn't talking about the practice as we practice it. Us Anabaptists practice this at our communion service of washing brothers and sisters' feet. And yes, that is the practice, the teaching that Jesus was leaving was not that, but rather unconditional love for all mankind. Yes, brothers and sisters, but also, in his words, Judas, who was an unbeliever. Peter. Who is going to deny him? He washed his feet. This washing of feet, while they were familiar with it, we were not. Everybody went by foot or by horse. The streets were dirt. They were shared with horses 
and donkeys and sheep and cattle and the stuff got mixed with the mud by the rain and the carts and they went barefoot or with open sandals so when they traveled and came to a house there was need to wash the stuff off of their feet to make them presentable to be part of the house already said that this was a formal occasion their feet were probably already washed almost certainly because they were always washed on formal occasions and so when Jesus got up and prepared to wash their feet the disciples knew that something else was going on here he didn't have to tell they knew it that this wasn't the formal washing of feet. He was going, the master was going to do something different. This was the job of the lowest servant. And if not a servant or a slave, most commonly a slave, then it was the lowest person on the pecking order in the room. It was considered an honor for a wife to wash her husband's feet, both by the husband and the wife. It would have been an extreme honor if a husband washed his wife's feet in that culture. It was a statement of commitment, of honor and love, and also of submission. That last point is important as we see what happens here. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. The master, the creator of the universe, he simply got up, got the things together, and washed their feet. That's what he wanted them to remember. That was his last testimony. His last words to his disciples, his followers. I'm not going to read the passage because that is difficult for me to do. There's one thing I can't do and that's sing. That's impossible. The other thing that's difficult is reading because I run out of breath and it sounds a little strange. But we get to verse 14 and we all know this. We all know and love this part of the story. Jesus comes to Peter and Peter says, Lord, will you wash my feet? And Jesus says, yes. 
And Peter says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. I take you back to what was just going on. And you can bet, even though the word don't tell us, that Peter was in the midst of this argument about who would be the greatest. Because that's Peter. And besides, there was a time that Jesus said to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So why wouldn't Peter be the greatest? You know, it wasn't Peter the man. That was the rock that Jesus referred to. Even though his name means rock. It was Peter's confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was a rock that the church is built upon and still is to this day. Peter was going to learn that. But he didn't know it yet at this time. And so Peter sheepishly said to Jesus, You'll never wash my feet. You're the master. I challenge you and call you to look at Jesus' response. What did Jesus say? You may not have ever picked this up before, but the word feet is nowhere in Jesus' response. Jesus said, if I wash you not, you have no part with me. He didn't say anything about his feet. The feet was symbolism. The washing was not about washing feet. Peter still didn't get it, but he knew that there was something to it. And so he says, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, no, if you're washed, you have only to wash your feet. The washing is salvation. The washing is Christ's blood applied to our lives. But there's more to it than that yet. And we'll get to that. But for right now, Jesus said, Peter, if you're washed, then I just need to wash your feet to symbolize that you're part of me. However, Verse 10 says, at the very end, but he that is washed is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. Again, foot washing was a symbolism of something greater. 
And Jesus said, you're not all clean because He also washed Judas' feet. And Judas wasn't saved, which we'll get to here in a minute. So after He washed their feet, He sat down. And He said, You call Me Master and Lord. And you say, Well, for that is who I am. If I have done this to you, and I'm your Lord, then you should do it to each other. You know, I raise this question. Maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't. Jesus gave him an example. He sat down and he said, if I'm your Lord and Master and I did this, then you also ought to do it for each other. And the Lord don't tell us this, but I picture that sitting there looking at the floor, ashamed and not knowing what to do, because I don't think they got up and washed each other's feet. I think they stayed sitting there feeling foolish and sheepish because they had just been arguing about who was the greatest and Jesus went and washed their feet. I propose that if they would have followed his example, that history, as we know it, would be different today. Do you know why they didn't wash each other's feet? It's because they weren't ready to submit to God. Christ washed their feet because he knew he was going to the cross. And he knew that he was going to submit to the Father's will. Four days later, Jesus didn't ask them to wash each other's feet. But if he would have, I believe they would have. Because now they were ready to submit. Back to history changing. In a few hours, actually, Judas denied. Judas already betrayed Jesus here. Because in Luke's version, Jesus looks at Judas and says, That which thou doest, keep quickly. And Judas gets up and goes out. Peter tells Jesus he's going to go with him to death. And in a few hours, he curses and swears he don't know the man. Everybody else runs off and leaves Jesus and each other. If they had been willing to submit, if they had been willing 
to demonstrate to each other the love that Jesus demonstrated to them. I doubt that Peter would have denied Christ. And I doubt they would have left each other. They weren't. That's why I say history would probably be different if they would have took Jesus' advice and simply followed his example of washing each other's feet. Verse 10. Jesus said to him, He that has washed needeth not to not save to wash his feet, but he is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. There's an important point that we miss here, not knowing the culture. To be washed in that time, you went down the street to the bathhouse, because you didn't have showers at home. When you came back from the bathhouse, you were clean, but your feet were covered with stuff again. So, you washed your feet, and then you were clean completely, or every way. This is physically. Now spiritually, we're washed when we're saved. We don't get saved again. But as we do life, we get dirty. Our feet get dirty. We get dirty because mass make us bigger with each other. We get dirty because we don't always do what we should do. We get dirty because we rub shoulders with the unsaved and with the things of this world. And we get dirty because of our own human desires that we find ourselves yielding to and we need to come back to Christ and we, we don't need to be saved we didn't lose our salvation but we need to be have our feet washed to be clean every way that's what Jesus was talking about you're clean but you're going to need your feet washed again Peter you need them washed tonight and so, as believers, we find ourselves there. There are times that Jason doesn't submit to the will of the Father. He's not quite ready to do that thing, whatever it is, that he's asked to do. Or Aaron says something to him that rubs him the wrong way. And he responds in a way that Christ wouldn't respond. And so he needs to be washed. His feet need to be washed. Verse 11 is a sad verse. He's speaking of Judas. 
And again, I've said this before, but I'm making it plain. Jesus is making it plain that this foot washing he's doing is a symbol of submission and love, not necessarily of a correct relationship. Judas died lost. He was unsaved. But Jesus washed his feet. down to verse 17. I said the disciples didn't practice what he asked. Notice that tiny little verse that says, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. His disciples weren't very happy that night. They weren't very happy for a few days. Again, I say, if Dad followed his example, I think they would have been happier. Verse 16, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than him that sent him. We understand this principle. We really do. But it's difficult to live it out. We're clearly Jesus' servants. might be better translated apostles or followers. And if we're Christians and we're followers of Christ. And if we want to be followers of Christ and we want to be happy then we need to do what Jesus did and that means we need to love each other unconditionally and we need to submit to the Father. And if we do that, we'll be happy. And the world will be a happier place. And our communities will be a happier place as well. You know, I challenge us as we think about this. The next time we have opportunity, to wash our brother or sister's feet, physically I'm referring to now. Let's think about what's in our heart. You know, I mentioned this several times, but I'm going to mention it again. Jesus went and washed Judas's feet, knowing full well what was in Judas's heart. Jesus did it, knowing full well he was going to go to the cross and he was going to die for Judas so that 
If perchance Judas repented, he could be saved. I don't think there's a brother or sister that did anything to me of that magnitude. But it don't stop there. Jesus went to the cross so that I could be saved as well. You know, and if I'm not willing to demonstrate the Master's love, am I really a follower of the Master? This is what he taught hours before he died. This is what he cared about. This is what he wanted the disciples to get. If I'm not willing to do that to a brother or a sister, if there's that thing that I hold and hide in my heart that reveals that I'm not ready to submit, that reveals that like I'm not like my master and I'm not ready to look the Father in the eye and say, Father, not my will, but thy will. that reveals that the Master is not my Lord, just as he wasn't Peter's Lord this evening when this passage was given. He was Peter's teacher. He was Peter's master. He was Peter's rabbi even. But Peter wasn't ready to lay down his pride to admit that he was human. To look his fellow disciples in the eye. To ask for forgiveness. And to repent of arguing who is the greatest. And kneel down and wash their feet. He wasn't quite ready yet. He'd get there, but he wasn't there yet. That's why Jesus said to him, Peter, what I do now, you don't know. But you will. You'll get it. Those crucifixion, Peter God. But it don't stop with fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, believers, The challenge for me is, and I have to work at this, I suspect you might have to as well, the next time that person, whoever it may be, a brother or a sister, a stranger, someone in Walmart, you name it, says or does something that those feelings rise up in me that we all feel at times dislike, 
anger, resentment. Then I need to think back. And I need to think of my Lord washing Judas's feet. And I need to ask myself. And this is cliche, but it's so true. What would Jesus do? Jesus would wash their feet. In fact, he already did when he washed his disciples' feet. It was a symbolism of his love for all humanity, including his disciples and including me. You know, I asked Aaron to sing that song because it fits well with Jesus' love for us. There's a passage in that song that says, Ashamed I hear my mocking voice go out among the scoffers. When I am not willing to show love, unconditional love, to my fellow men, my voice is calling out among the scoffers. It's easy, this side of Calvary, to think that yes, we're washed, we have it together, and yet, if we're honest, there are times that we find ourselves in that crowd watching Jesus go to the cross. And by our actions, by my actions, my voice is crying out. It was my sin that nailed me. Praise God, it didn't stop there. There's another passage in that song that says this. Why should I gain from His reward? Why? Why should I benefit from His reward of submitting to the Father, following through, and purchasing salvation for everyone that will accept the blood? And the simple answer is this. Because He loved me unconditionally. If I'm willing to practice that love unconditionally towards my fellow men, towards the Father, towards my Lord, and truly making my Lord, then I become a joint heir with Christ. You know what that means? That means I'm a son or a daughter of God. What can be better than being a son or daughter of the God of the universe, the Creator, the one who loves us, the one who died so we could live?
Another comment was made in Sunday school that exemplifies this well. And that is, we weren't created to live like we do today. This isn't the state that we were created for. This is the state we fell to through disobedience. But we were created to live for the state that God and Christ live in. Total love towards each other. We won't experience that this side of death because we live in a fallen world. But praise God, by the power of His Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ, when I live in true submission to Christ's practice and promise, I can experience that love and that state of fellowship with my fellow humanity, this side of eternity. Aaron, I think, already commented on this. We live in strange times. Times that people are turned against each other. Sometimes even brothers and sisters in the church. But if we were to practice the love that Jesus exemplified toward all mankind, the world would be a different place. And no, we wouldn't all have to be Christians. When Jesus showed that love, they weren't all followers of Him. Some were, many weren't. But stop and think about it. It's been changing the world for 2,000 years. I stand before you this morning and preach it because it's changed my life. You sit in the pews because it's changed your life. And Jesus is still in the business of changing lives if we will submit. If we will follow His example. And His words still ring true. Happy are ye if you do it. Blessed are we and those around us will be blessed if we practice this simple but difficult thing of unconditional love towards all mankind. Yes, towards brothers and sisters, but towards everyone. And no, we can't do it of our own, but we can do it with Christ in our heart and in our life. The next time you, like me, are tempted not to think back to Christ and Judas, and you will give us the courage to practice what we should. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this place. I thank you for these people. I thank you for each one who is present here.
not by accident, but because you intended it so. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for what they bring. Thank you for who they are. Father, I commit each one of us to you. Father, finish your work in our lives. If there is someone here who you are not master of your life, then Father, I pray that you would continue to speak and to draw. For those who are of us who are, Father, enable us by your grace, your power, and your spirit to live exemplary lives as you exemplified in this passage. To wash each other with love. To be willing to submit to you and come and have our feet washed when we need it. Father, I pray that you would bless us as we go from here. I pray that you would keep us mindful of your love for us, that we could shine as a light in dark places. I pray that you would give us opportunity to be light and love for you. I pray that you would give us the power to fulfill those opportunities, to make you great, to exemplify you as Lord, master of our lives, the God, the creator of the universe. Father, I ask for safety as we leave here and go out throughout the coming week. And Father, again, I thank you for this body, the local church, here in this place. Father, use them to accomplish your work. I ask it in the name of Jesus. It's just been a great blessing to be here. Thank you for allowing us to come and share in this service. It amazes me that 15 months after we were first here, and for those visitors who don't know, I came here as a total stranger at the request of helping start a church here. I'm not a stranger anymore. It feels like home. And it's a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to see the views feel like they are. It's a blessing and an honor to see what God has done. Not us. Not even the local church by here. But God, through the work of His Spirit, using men to accomplish, men and women, to accomplish His purpose for this place and this time. Praise the Lord for His goodness to us. <laughs>